are back for a post Liege Bastion Liege episode of the Freewheeling Podcast. I have Amy Jones. I'm going to revert to introducing Amy first because Lauren always goes off on a tangent. <laughs> so, <laughs> Amy, how are you doing today? Good. Who says I'm not going to go off on a tangent? You, I mean, you can. And if so, then I'll just have to like go by the seat of my pants and decide who deserves the number one spot each week. Or you'll just be like, and I'm joined by so-and-so and so-and-so and and leave it back. Don't give us the option. Don't give us the chance. (laughs) I mean, we do all have different accents, so it's hard to mistake who is who. If if you've listened to an episode before, for anyone who doesn't know, I'm from Canada, America, but I like to, I like my Canadian side better at the moment. (laughs) Amy (laughs) is from the UK. Where in the UK are you from? Oh, uh, that's a tangent in itself. Um, Uh-oh. Somewhere in the middle, basically, near to Stoke. Wherever that is. Yeah, exactly. Middle yeah, of nowhere. I'm pretty sure that the women's tour went through there the yep. year that I did it. it finished, it's finished there a few times, yeah. I was probably there watching. <laughs> and Lauren Rowney, where in Australia are you from? The Gold Coast, which is a city, not a coastline. Because hmm. that's often the thing. Where are you from? Oh, the Gold Coast. Oh. But where on the Gold Coast? <laughs> what city? I'm like, no, no, no. The city of the Gold Coast, <laughs> just to make things interesting. Yeah. So it's really beautiful. Um, if you get to go to the World Championships, Abby, I think Cycling Tips should fly over there if things are normal in 2022. I think it's there next year, no? In Wollongong. Yeah. Yeah, cycling uh, cycling tips loves Australia because most of the crew is based there. So I'm sure that I'm sure that I would be able to go. That'd be yeah, sweet. You need to work that out. All right. So we got one race and one race only to talk about today, and that is Liège Bastogne Liège. But before we get into the actual racing, let's hear a little bit from Taylor Wiles in the lead up to the race. little recovery day writer journal for you um currently listening to the one and only t swift yep you got it um we had a lovely little spin this morning around limburg um went to coffee of course because coffee that really is the only word you need to know Coffee, coffee, coffee. And it was lovely. It's a beautiful sunny day. Um, Ruth is currently out, like I said, um, somewhere with an oven. So I'm expecting baked things. She took some polenta, which she received from Eliza's family farm. They, they, they make polenta there, the Longo Borghini's. Um, so I'm expecting a polenta baked good of some qu- kind, maybe like a polenta cake, polenta almond cake, polenta cookie. You know, I like a cookie and polenta and a cookie could be good. Um, yeah, now I'm just doing a little work. I just received a lovely little gift from the one and only Tom's Squeens, 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 Squeens. Uh, best guy ever. I think you know that. Um, yeah, some waffles and chocolate. It's really all I got. We've been doing a little bit of filming for the run-up, so everybody watch the run-up because I think it's going to be super cool. 
follow them on the Instas. Um, it's going to bring some good insight to the women's pillow, some personalities and such. And yeah, tomorrow we're doing a bit of recon for Liege because the course is a bit different. So that'll be exciting. Um, so I can do a little writer diary, maybe post post um, recon so we can tell you our reaction to the two new climbs. I'm sure they're super exciting. And yeah, that's my day in a nutshell. I'm on coffee number three. I don't know if that's healthy, but for my mental health, it's a good day. Um, yeah, that's all I got for you. Over and out from Hotel Vanderbilt, Maastricht. Trying to sound, what's the word, Um, less sultry, apparently, because that's the way um, people have been describing my writer diaries. So, yeah, I'm a little offended, everyone, that you do not like my sultry voice, so I'm going to try to sound more chipper. And we're excited, or maybe like city girl. Could I? I could do some, uh, like Utah girl content. Uh, or I just kind of forget that the word mountain has a T in it, and I just say like a lot. Um, no, I won't do that. That's really. Um, I just annoyed myself a little bit. Anyway, okay. Here I am, Taylor Wiles, still in Maastricht, still at the Valkenburg Hotel. We got to escape for a little while today and do a bit of recon for Liège, um, Bastogne-Liège, which really the women's Liège, Bastogne-Liège should just be called Bastogne-Liège because we don't even start in Liège. We just go from Bastogne to Liège. I'm probably not even saying Bastogne, right? Anyway, we did some recon today because they changed up the course, which, to be honest, I am liking the new course added two more climbs and they're both they're both my style not too steep this is a really nice grader you can just power power up them and a bit longer and less punchy than some of the climbs in the previous Ardennes so I'm happy about that and um yeah it was nice to ride around another sunny day in Belgium slash the Netherlands which you take them when you can get them because they don't come that often and we've been pretty lucky this week, and oof, our chef made tuna tataki uh, for lunch with seaweed salad. It was a dream. We're totally spoiled by Brams. Shout out to Brams, chef for Trek Segafredo. He's pretty awesome. Anyway, that's all I really got. I'm going to put my feet up and do that rider thing where we just lay in our beds for the rest of the day. Anyway. Thanks for listening. Hope I sounded slightly less sultry in this writer diary. And I will talk to you post Fast on Liege. <laughs> Bye. All right. So let's talk about Liege, Fast on Liege. Years previously, the last two years and the first year, the winning move went on the Cote de la Redoute this year. Cecily Utrecht-Ludwig, well, 
Marta Cavalli and Ashley Momenpasio went on Cote de la Redoute. Cavalli was dropped. Lucinda Brand joined Ashley Momenpasio. Cecily Ochip Ludwig bridged, and they became a trio. Very interesting tactics from FDJ Nouvelle Aquitaine Futuroscope that we will get into shortly. A huge group came back together on the bottom of the Cote de la Rochefon, and that included the world champion and pretty much all of the big names that we've kind of been discussing for the last couple months. So on that final climb of the race or final categorized climb of the race, a group formed that was, like I said, all the favorites. It was Annemie Van Vluten, Anna van der Bregen, Demi Vollering, uh, Kashin Iwadoma, and Elisa Longaborghini. Behind them, Mariana Voss and Cecily Utrecht Ludwig got dropped and kind of caught back on. But then there was a surprise climb that Taylor talked about in her audio diaries. And on that surprise climb, Van Vluten attacked. She went away with Anna Vandebregen and Elisa Longaborghini, but Kashini Wadoma and Devi, Demi Vollering chased back on. Voss and Uta Ludwig out of the picture at this point. So Vandebregen, as soon as Vollering got back onto that group, she did a 10K lead out basically and brought that group of five to the line. It was... Demi Vollering, who took the win, followed by Anmik Van Vluten and Elise Longo-Borghini. We got, a, we got a couple things to talk about. Let's start with the beginning of my little debrief there. Cecily Utrecht Ludwig choosing to go up the road with Ashley Moen Passio. Now, for Ashley Moen Passio, that was a great move. And for SD Works, because like I said, winning move has gone on Cote de la Redoute three of the five times this race is one, including this year. So in theory, it was a good move to be part of. However, Ashwin and Passio, potentially not the rider they were racing for today. Sorry, Amy. <laughs> and Lucinda Brand, also not really the chosen rider for Trek. So you would have looked at that group and kind of been like having Cavalli in there would have been awesome. But to have their kind of star rider in there and then we kind of saw the after effects of her being in that group when she got dropped later on the Cote de, Cote de la Rocha Fon. So what do you guys think of this, this uh, Cecily Utrecht Ludwig move and also Ashley's, Ashley's attack? I think Cecily took a gamble, um, in my opinion. And, you know, uh, every other thing that she's been doing leading up to this final race, actually, because I think most of the riders will have a bit of a rest now, hasn't been paying off. You know, she's been mm-hmm. super aggressive, going with the right moves. And then we have seen this this race won, in, I guess, like you said, going on, on that climb. So in the moment, she just must have felt it and thought, if you look at the way Binder was won, when Elisa just went with still two laps to go and it wasn't like, the red hot favorites could all follow necessarily. I don't know. I think just, yeah, she took a gamble and it didn't pay off. It's a shame though, because like you said, her two teammates behind um, Brody Chapman, I think was, was still in that group with Marta. Is that right? Mm -hmm. And then she got dropped when, yeah, basically in that moment, but it, it was a huge gamble. Whereas for Ashley, she knew, yeah. If it paid off, she'd be there at the finish in this select group um, and have a good red hot chance. But if she got caught, she had two riders that could potentially win it. So just in my opinion, she took a gamble. 
I mean, it's not the worst call because she's she's come down to the finish with that same group of favorites on multiple occasions now and hasn't been able to to win out of that group. So I'm sure it was kind of a case of, all right, so going into the final 10K with these riders isn't working for me. I need to go earlier. And I think that if there hadn't been such a strong headwind, it maybe would have paid off more. But something else that was interesting about that move was Trek and SD Works are both represented. Mm -hmm. And it was Movistar and Canyon Stram that brought them back. In the past, we haven't really seen teams mobilize enough to bring down a move with those that big of riders in it. Like that was something that two years ago, that break of three might have gone to the line. A hundred percent. I think that, like you just said, that composition, that would have actually been my eyes if I was her, even more incentive to be like, this could actually work. But Movie Star worked really, really well. And so did Canyon Shram. They still had the firepower. Um, so unfortunate, but um, yeah. Amy? Yeah, to go back to... Another theory on why Cecilia might have followed that group is that I wonder if Ashley Mormon Passio didn't act as like a bit of a red herring there for her. She might have thought that they mm. would be riding for her on a course that ostensibly suits her. And so thought like, oh, this is the move to go with. And I mean, it wasn't, yeah, it, it was a strong move, but Lucinda Brand maybe gave away the fact that it wasn't the move, but um yeah, I, I think you're right, Lauren. I think it was a gamble as well. Um, but yeah, great to see to see teams like uh, Canyon and Movistar being able to to mobilize like that, like you say. Um, I think at least Shabby is like the real MVP of the last few races. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Her in uh, Flesh Alone, she was so incredible in Flesh Alone, and then today, one of the problems that Kasha Niwadoma has always had is the lack of somebody with her in those final groups, the lack of someone who can hang on to, to those selections when they're made at the end of a race. And Elise Shabby is looking like she is going to step into that role very nicely, especially coming into the stage races and stuff coming up. Yep. All right. Next thing to talk about is the Cote de la Rochefon. Now, it was probably the biggest group we've seen come into that climb in a ever because usually the race is completely blown apart by Le Redoute and the Cote de, Cote de la Rochefond, the last categorized climb on the course. By then the race has pretty much been decided except when Anna Vandebregen won the second time and she went later in the race. But we saw on this climb not really any attacks. I mean, Cecily Utrip Ludwig kind of tried to maybe attack or set the pace at the base of the climb, but it was Anna Vandebregen who really took over and she set a pace that pretty much shelled everyone in the peloton except the six, seven riders that we've been seeing all year, all year so far. And that really opened up the race for, I mean, I think at that moment when we saw Anna Vandebregen sitting on the front but not attacking, it was the moment that I thought, oh, yeah, Demi Vollering is their chosen rider for the race mm -hmm. because she was going the perfect pace to drop everyone. And the only factor that really could have screwed up this plan would have been Mariana Voss. And she got dropped. And I think Anna, 
yeah, of course, they knew that was going to happen. Voss is riding incredibly, but we know that when it's been a really, really hard race and they do get to those final climbs, if the pressure is on, and it doesn't necessarily mean attacking, like you said, it's just setting that incredibly tough pace that only six riders can hold. And having that confidence in Vollering, which she's shown throughout the whole spring, that she can hang on and then sprint at the end. And in that group, she's the out-and-out favourite, right, in a sprint finish. How would it feel to be... 24 and having... 24. (laughs) On your first ever World Tour team. She's been pro for two years, but with Park Hotel Valkenberg, which is, in my opinion, the best development team in the world, but also just a just a small UCI women's team and she's joined this huge team and in the first four months of being on this team the world champion who's won every single big race ever is like no you know just won my seventh straight La Flesh alone I think we'll work for Demi today because that is not something that happens very often I mean I got into a Twitter war with somebody about when I said that we don't see this happen very often and they were like, but it was the right choice. And I was like, no, no, I'm not saying it wasn't the right choice. It was clearly the right choice. But the fact that that happened, the fact that that decision was made before La Redoute, when in theory, Vanderbregen could have attacked and tried to go away like she's done in the past. And on La Cote de la Rochefon, like she could have attacked there, didn't held it together for Demi, went like the perfect speed for Demi. I'm sure Demi was in the radio going like, okay, okay, I'm doing okay. Like, I'm still here. I'm still here. I'm still here. The fact that that whole situation kind of played out and that Demi got to sprint for the win at Liege-Bastogne-Liege, her first year on SD Works with the world champion as her domestique, that's just like such an amazing thing that we just... I mean, I don't know that that's never, that's never happened before. I think like, yeah, just imagine, yeah, we're going back to that. Having the world champion do that and having the, the, the whole team behind you, having the faith in yourself. Um, I think Demi Vollering has shown incredible confidence in her ability and that's sometimes something you don't see at such a young age. Like you said, coming from, uh, a team that wasn't World Tour and then just stepping it up into, and she's done every kind of role, actually. She's worked so hard for the team, but then yet she's getting results for herself. So th- this was such a beautiful way to cap off the end of this sort of classics Arden period before we move into the next part of the season. I think it speaks volumes for um, Anna van der Bregen as well and her, like, humility, like her... Like the fact that she she could probably pick whatever race and be like, I'm going to win that one. But and she could have won on Sunday, but yeah, she chose to to work for Demi, and she's very much she seems to have very much like taken her on as like her protege as well. Um, she's definitely the heir apparent in in SD works for that, and um, yeah, it's I think as well. Um, it almost went the opposite way in flesh. And before we saw Demi working really hard for Anna, I think they've come out and said that um, in the radio or to each other, Anna was saying to Demi, like, you go or something. And 
Demi or like not to work and Demi was like no I'm gonna I'm gonna do it and then we saw her put in that huge effort going into the climb so it's it's nice to see to see a lack of of ego getting in the way basically yeah because that split second decision by Demi to like not ignore but to be like no I'm not going to do what Anna Vanderbregen is telling me and I'm going to use my instincts and those instincts paying off and Vanderbregen winning flesh alone after that. I think that that moment kind of sealed the deal for Vanderbregen being like, we're giving this next one to Demi. And they did get relatively lucky in that when Annemiek Van Vluten attacked on the secret climb that wasn't uh, categorized, that there was a pretty strong headwind and so she couldn't get very far. We've also talked a little bit in the past about how she's not looking great. She didn't look great on Cote de, Rocha, de la Rochefon either. She just kind of doesn't look comfortable on her bike this year. And so when she attacked, it it did split that group into three and two behind. And Kashini Wadoma brought Demi back. No problem. So they did kind of, there was a moment there where the race could have played out very, very differently, but... Niwadoma, we already talked about at the, on the last episode, is on flying form right now. She used that form to bring Demi back up to that group. And uh, and that's when, when Anna Vanderbregen was the super domestique, did a 10K lead out, and Demi won the race. <laughs> a little bit, the pace was just a little bit too hard for Niwadoma or Elisa Longoborghini to try anything funny, because I think it would have occurred to both of them to maybe try something going into a sprint against Demi Bollering. Exactly. It was just perfection, actually, wasn't it? That whole last part of that race. Um, mm-hmm. Chapeau, SD Works. It's sort of the sort of, yeah, the work we, we've seen them do the whole spring, essentially. A few hiccups in a couple of races, but mostly um, they just seem to be gelling so well together. And... I'm really looking forward to the tours, to be honest, to see how things work. And I, I personally want to see the riders like Ashley Moorman, Taylor Wiles, who've been doing incredible amounts of work, get a chance to, you know, have a good crack for themselves and get a result too. I think we'll maybe see a bit more of them in um, the Spanish races towards the end of next month um, or this month, depending on when this goes out. <laughs> um. Yeah, before we kind of talk about what's coming next, let's hear Taylor Wiles post Liege Bastion Liege Auto Diary and her last one for the Ardennes week. We wanted to give you guys a little bit of a behind the scenes look at what goes on at the Ardennes week for the riders. And um, an even better behind the scenes look can be found on YouTube. Look up the run up. It was great. <laughs> I really liked it. And uh, yeah, here's Taylor Wiles. Taylor Wiles here again, but no longer at the Vandervalk Hotel. I am now in a lovely little Airbnb in the middle of Maastricht Center, where I will be spending the week here. Um, Yeah, today was good old LBL, or BL, I guess, Um, since we don't start in Liege. Uh, it was pretty awesome. I have to say, today was the best weather I've raced Ladies Best on the Asian. I think the previous two editions 
I have been frozen and wet and I was incredibly happy to see the sun today. Um, and yeah, I still, I think I'm still, I underdressed slightly because of the sun um, and I was pretty cold, but I was still very happy that it was sunny and it was so wonderful. Um, super hard race. I really like the changes they made to the courses. I think the climbs they added were pretty great. Uh, I got to be in a breakaway, which formed on one of the new climbs, the one that starts with an R. I'm not going to attempt to try to say any of the climbs correctly because, yeah, I am not so good at that language, um, which... Side note, I just had an argument with my oven because it's Dutch and I don't know Dutch and it's a very complicated oven and there are many buttons. Um, but anyway, okay, I'll go back to the race now and stop talking about the oven. Uh, yeah, it was super nice. The team rode incredibly well. Um, we had Loretta do basically a 10K lead out on her own into the Vana where first, um, the first kind of hard part of the race and then um, I was in a few breakaways uh, that were short-lived and then one breakaway that was a little bit longer-lived, but still we got caught on the, the climb before the Redoute. Again, not going to say the name, and I'm probably saying Redoute wrong as well, but anyway. Um, and yeah, that was really good. I mean, I have to say SD Works raced super well. They were really aggressive and they were always um, going up the road and, and keeping the rest of the peloton kind of guessing and, and on their toes and um Neve Fisher Black is a little pocket rocket and just kept going on every single climb. Um uh, I went with her a couple times and then one time it was just a little too quick. Um but then we caught her on the descent um into the redoute and I kinda helped uh position my teamies at the bottom so that we could get in a good position and then Moleman attacked kind of when it started to pitch up um and got a bit of a gap so I just kind of paced on the redoute for as long as I could until it got a little steeper and and uh the hitters started to go and then I held on for dear life um and Lucinda did a really good job of going um across to woman and she took I think Sile was also with her and they had a gap and it was, it was a really good break um but Canyon had to do uh some some hard work to to chase that back and we got them on the second to last climb and then it was just yeah small group heading into okay I'll try to say this one because I think it sounds cool Russia Falcons is that right no it's definitely not right but I think it's a cool sounding name of a climb. And we got to the bottom of that and then Vanderbregen just set that hot pace all the way up it and shredded everyone except for those five riders that eventually went to the line together. And then I was pretty proud of Elisa. She's been practicing her sprint and I think she did a pretty wonderful job to sprint for third in that bunch because all of those girls are super quick. Um, <clears throat> so I think she did a great job and we were super proud of her. Very happy with how the team rode. Um, and yeah, I, I just loved the race. I think it might turn into my favorite Ardennes. I can't believe I'm saying that, but I really, really enjoyed today. And, um, I loved the hard racing, loved, yeah, the epic climbs and just 
all of it. I had a great time. And then I came to Maastricht, and, I mean, we race so early. You have so much of the day left. So I got into my little Airbnb, took myself on a coffee date. Abby, I missed you because you are my coffee date friend, but you are not here. Um, so I just had a coffee date with myself and sat on the steps, and it was a beautiful day, so everybody was in the square in Maastricht, so it was super nice. And, yeah. That's about it for me. I'm just going to, I think I'm going to be a tourist tomorrow and just walk around Maastricht and go coffee shop hopping and find some tasty lunch and sit in the sun because it's going to be another sunny day in Holland. And yeah, that about wraps up the Ardennes. I think it was a pretty exciting Ardennes week and I had a lot of fun and proud of my team and what we accomplished and I think also if you haven't seen the run up, go watch it. Super cool. And um really um hope that more content like that comes out because it was just beautiful. It was like a piece of art and it's just so fun to get some of the the characters behind women cycling kind of out there and and show people what people are like off the bike. So the more they can do and the more athletes they can show and kind of um do that the better I think because um, so far I think it's gotten really good feedback and I think it just gives really good visibility and a bit of a fun side to the women's peloton um, so bravo for all those who produced that shout out to Oliver and Till and yeah that's about all for me you don't need to listen to my sultry voice anymore but I will miss you all and these voice memos and thank you for listening to my craziness uh, peace out. All right, so Taylor Wiles is now on her way to Elsa Jacobs. The festival, Sarah Tizit Festival Elsa Jacobs coming up starts on the 30th. This will come out on the 29th, so tomorrow. It's a three-day, three-stage race. First one's a prologue and then two road stages. Last year, one by Lisa Brenauer. Demi Vollering in second. Anyway, it's been won by Voss, I think, three times in a row, four times in a row. And it's it's a race that there will be live coverage of. There's going to be 90 minutes of live coverage for both of the road stages. So this is where we, as you you just said, Amy, like this is where we'll get to see <laughs> get to see the domestiques kind of kind of go for it. And everyone who's on the start list of this race so far, it's not the official start list hasn't hasn't been published as of recording, but it looks like the teams are kind of bringing their, their, not their B teams, but the riders who haven't gotten a chance to shine yet. And this is where we get to see them shine. So I'm so excited going into the, this next part of the season. Cause we have Elsa Jacobs isn't world tour, but after that we have a couple one day Spanish races and a Spanish stage race. That's world tour that we will talk about in a later episode, but thought it was worth bringing up Elsa Jacobs because of the live coverage. Cause we love it when races have live coverage and we want to give them props. And we've had a lot this year, right? We've been watching heaps of women cycling. I've never watched so much in my life. I think so. And I've been <laughs> around a long time. There's never been so much in your life. <laughs> <laughs> yes. In my, my short life. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yes, the live coverage, huge thing, not a world tour race, so not mandatory to provide anything. But um, I myself never raced this race, always wanted to, super hard from what I've heard. 
The courses are really undulating and a bit technical too. But like Amy was saying before, great opportunity for writers who perhaps have been more in a working position in the spring or some of the rosters these days are quite big. Uh, I think Canyon Shram even has 16 or so writers. So this is an opportunity to bring in writers that haven't raced much um, and maybe aren't looking at Olympic selections as such. So um, some of our superstars will be having a little rest and, um, yeah. <laughs> I was just going to add on the subject of live coverage that Elsie Jacobs can run live coverage. There's no excuse, Jira Rosa. <laughs> yeah, rock on. Well said. I mean, that is so true. That's so true. Just leave that We one really out. pick on the Jira Rosa a lot on this podcast. We it love it. Among our, we yeah. love the race. We've discussed this. We do. Love hate yeah. thing. It's a love hate thing for sure. Yeah. On the subject of like, the calendar mm. I think it's worth saying that like the next world tour race isn't until the end of May that is worth and saying. then the, the next one after that because um the women's tour and everything's been moved it's like there's only five world tour races between now and the Olympics okay yeah sorry yeah, five that's... days of racing three races you mean world tour right yeah 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 so that yeah. means that actually a lot of these riders are probably going to have a little rest and then jump into as many of these races as possible. Yeah. Which to go back to my friends at the Giro Rosa gives them a bit of a free pass, even though they got demoted last year mm -hmm. um, because everybody's going to flock to that. Yeah. Everyone I've talked to is going to do it anyway. What's mm -hmm. the timing with the Giro and the Olympics? So... It was going to be really tight because they were initially talking about doing a 14-day quarantine. Um, and it, the last stage is exactly two weeks before the road race. Um, but they've come out this morning and said that they're not going to have the quarantine. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's exactly two weeks. It finishes exactly two weeks before the road race. So riders will be looking to do the whole Giro or will riders be pulling out? I'm curious about this. I'm always interested. The Olympics is such a, it's an exciting thing, but it's a bit of a weird beast in the middle of the season where, you know, even with the men with the Tour de France. But um, I remember having yeah, teammates trying to sort of plan out their season and the year that I raced, Mitchell and Scott skipped the Giro because they thought it would be better for the athletes. Um, I don't, know if that was true because it didn't turn out so good for uh, the Australian team as such but um, yeah it's always timing isn't it so yeah and like you said Amy it's been demoted but we had this discussion last year would teams still turn up if it wasn't world tour but it comes back to the fact that it is the Giro Rosa and there's a lot of history there um, and yeah with the Olympics the timing as well um, lack of races that are world tour. I was just going to say that's sad because it means we're not going to be able to see all this amazing racing where everybody's on peak form just before the Olympics because it's probably not going to be broadcast. I mean, I'll be happy to be wrong about that. Something Taylor Wiles and I discussed in the episode a couple days, a couple weeks ago, was just the lack of stage races for the women on the world tour calendar and how much that really impacts the teams and also the racing and, and how it's really kind of a bummer. I mean, I know that there's this push, there's this thing within women's cycling where 
It's very appealing because all of the big riders all show up to the same races and there's a very like kind of linear storyline throughout the calendar that the men's racing just doesn't have because there's so many riders and there's so many races that it's just impossible to follow. But heck, give us like, I don't know, two more week-long stage races in the summer because it's so weird that cycling, a sport that you would assume is kind of a summer sport given the fact that it's on the road and it's outside, like there's no racing for the women in the summer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I it mean, goes dead. Yeah. It, there used to be, okay, not world tour, but there were a lot of tours in the summer. You, you must remember Abby when we were racing and that was an opportunity for the smaller teams to sort of come over. We used to get a bunch of American teams like Optum coming over and doing Route de France, um, Ardèche, uh, Trophée d'Or, um, the tours in, in Czech, there's two tours in Czech. Um, yeah, and Turrigan was one of the best tours and still is in my mind that is out there. But that is not world tour status. Too pro or whatever it's, it's Yeah, it seems like if the UCI wanted to, like, help the sport grow at all, they would make it easier for races to become world tour status, make it a little bit more attainable, maybe... I don't know what the fees are to become a world tour race, but instead of having exorbitant fees to be a to have a world tour license on their race, they could put those fees towards the live coverage that they would have to have as a world tour race. And that would benefit the sport more than, than a lot of things that are every time, every time we get into the UCI and I just feel (laughs) it's that, that just comes back to money, right? Because who pockets that fee? Every, everything comes back to money, Lauren. I know. <laughs> the world we live in. We haven't mentioned the um, the Tour de Suisse. No. And of of uh, unknown origin, basically. They don't have a sponsor or something, but they're plowing on. That was a weird... Yeah, they, they apparently had like a guarantee for the money and then the money fell through and they basically called for like a crowdfunding of the race. That race has really flown under the radar. Well, because I think it wasn't, it was like cancelled or it wasn't happening and then it was happening again or I don't know. It's yeah bizarre. It's only two days, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, two days. More women's racing. We want more women's racing. <laughs> I'm, I'm, we want more women's racing, but like give us a real tour, right? Not two days or three days. Give us... A full week. That's what I want to see more of these full exactly. week tours, and then it opens it up as well. Like you were saying, well, what Taylor was saying is, there's so many riders that need these opportunities to shine in order to get that next contract, and quite often that comes from racing these tours. Um, yeah, you know, if you're just racing a bunch of one day classics, and your team says in the team meeting, oh, we only need you to kilometer 70, that's fine, and then your day is done. Um, you know, you don't have that in a tour. You have your GC rider, you maybe have a sprinter on the team, but quite often, and this is what I loved, was, you know, the DS would say, hey, if you want to have a crack today, this is your day, and then you made the most of that opportunity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry to do a little correction corner, but Good. it's uh, 5th to the 6th of June, not me. It is might have been May. Before. No, is the, yeah, is the men's tour Swiss the first week of May? 
I have to wade through like pages and pages of races before I get to that, you know, so many. <laughs> There's like a handful of races on the women's side that, that could stand to be world tour. I feel like Turingen could be world tour. Oh, I miss the tour of California. Remember those, sure. those great days when, remember, remember specialized Lululemon when you guys came over and did the Redlands classic and then the tour of California. Oh man, those were great times. Is that coming back? I don't think it's ever coming back, Amy. No, I don't think so. That's sad. When was the last time a race was like, we're just going to take a year off and then came back? Yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to the Freewheeling Podcast. We will be back in your ears and your brains a week from now. And uh, we'll talk about Elsa Jacobs and the upcoming Spanish races. So thank you for listening. Bye.